Hey everyone, this is Jim Robbins, and this is the Good and Noble Heart podcast. And today is part six in the series on calling that Gary Barkalow and I are doing. It's a six out of seven part series. Today is we're going to talk about developing certain qualities of heart that are going to be critical as we mature in our calling. Um, Gary, it's good to be back. Yeah, it really is. I, these these times between these calls, these podcasts seem too long for me because I enjoy so much with you. Um, me as well. Um, and uh, we were just talking before the podcast started about your wife, and probably it would be helpful to share a little bit about what she's doing because um, your wife is doing kind of the calling message, the identity message for women. So um, just kind of share a little bit about what she's doing, and of course your um, listeners can find out at your website a little bit more about that. It's thenobleheart.com. But what is Lee doing? Yeah, yeah, she's in Australia right now, uh, just arrived yesterday, and um, she will be doing a retreat, a conference that she calls Sheer Beauty. And she's uh, doing that retreat in Sydney this coming weekend, and then the next week she'll be doing that in Brisbane, Australia. Um, but, yeah, it's a... When when we started with Ransomed Heart, um, gosh, um, nine years ago now, um, she and Stacy put together the what was known then as the Ransomed Femininity Retreat, and so we had developed um, a, a number of talks in that over the years that she brought, and um, and then eventually they they called the retreat Captivating because the book Captivating came out that John and Stacy wrote, um, but she, all those years, I think she had three or four sessions, but she had so much in her that she wanted to say with no time or room to do it there that now she has expanded that. I mean, it's an entire retreat. She has so much to say, and, and you really had a good term for it. Really, it is about a woman's identity, who she is, uh, what God has put in her heart. Therefore, you look at those things, you start to understand, what does it mean as a woman, to live in this world um, in the kingdom of God. And so it's, yeah, it's very, very powerful. And, and um, she she has so much to say, and she's just a master when it comes to using the arts to uh, awaken the heart, whether it be film clips or music or pictures or those type of things. So, yep, that's what she's doing this week. And I would imagine um, that this would not be your typical women's conference and women's retreat simply because it's centered around the life of the heart. It's not about the pressure that women often feel that somehow they're just not enough. They're, they're not coming through enough for their husband. You know, they're not committed enough, whatever that is. And, you know, I, I would suspect it would be quite different and, and more liberating than what you might find with any other typical Christian women's retreat. Right, right. Yeah, I do think that the majority of women's retreats are about, you know, learning how to be more submissive to your husband, how to be a better servant, um, how to better, you know, win your husband over without a word by the way that you love him. And, and, and obviously there's truth to all those things, but it's, it's not the core 
of what it means for a woman to walk with God in this world. And so, right, it's, it's really none of those things. It's more of evoking the life of the heart. And, and what does that mean that God has given us a heart and, and now given us a good heart? And how do we read those desires? And how does God train us in those things? And how do we bring, you know, the, the weightiness of our life to this world? So, yeah, very different <clears throat> with the talks and the movie clips and the times alone with God and the, the exercises, the things that you're journaling um, during the sessions as well. You know, all the things, Jim, that you talk about, you write about, that you do. Yep. Um, well, that's great. And cause I just wanted to bring that up because even though what you and I talk about in the podcast is equally a- applicable to men or women, it's really helpful for um, for either of the genders to know the particulars of what it, what does it mean to be a woman in the kingdom following their calling, or what does it mean to be a man in the kingdom following his calling? So um, good. Well, let's let's move into today. Today is is about development and certain qualities of heart that need to develop in us in order for us to mature in our calling, so that we don't sabotage what we really want. And so let's just start with the, the premise that God is looking for people whom he can entrust with his power. And, of, of course, we know that the implications of that are, well, if you can't be entrusted with power, then there's all kinds of disastrous consequences. But that doesn't mean that power in itself is bad. He's training us for something. It, it is his desire to give away, to share his authority. And because it's what we'll, what we'll be doing in the kingdom of heaven – it is what we're now being trained to do. It's much like the Chronicles of Narnia where the children throughout the battles, throughout the conflicts, are maturing in their ability to rule. And so as we talk about our hearts and the different qualities of heart today, we're, we're not suggesting that our hearts are sinful or you're not doing enough or you're not um, humble enough. That's the message that the church has often given us. Rather, we're saying, no, your heart is good. But it may be young, it may be naive, but it's not bad, it's just undeveloped. So let's start with a metaphor that we're going to be kind of carrying throughout the discussion that comes from The Mask of Zorro, uh, the movie with Antonio Banderas as the young, up-and-coming Zorro, and then Anthony Hopkins playing the older, wiser Zorro who trains him. Um, if you would, just set up the scene for us, the cantina scene where they first meet. Yeah, yeah, that's, and it's, that movie is such a great picture, you know, metaphor um, of what it means to be under the development and training of God. It's just so good. So, so in the beginning scene, you have uh, Zorro. Uh, he has just escaped from prison where his enemy has thrown him in there in prison for 20 years. Um, he's escaped, he's come back into town, and as he's kind of getting his bearings, and, and he's looking for his daughter, uh, but as he's getting his bearings, he finds this, he sees this young man sitting in a cantina, and he's just observing him, watching him, assessing his story from just observation. And, and this young man, Alejandro, his name, that's his name in the movie, is sitting uh, by himself at a cantina, cantina, just drinking, just obviously trying to numb some pain in his life, and uh, he's just observing him, 
Um, and, and then he approaches him and because he recognizes something about him, realizing that this is, an, this is a young man that he met as a young boy 20 years earlier uh, or, or more, um, and, and trying to figure out what is it about this young man? What is going on here? Well, as they're talking, um, uh, this, this soldier rides into town. And Alejandro, this young man who is drinking, jumps up, grabs the sword, pulls it out, and you can tell he's going to go charge after this soldier that came into town. And um, uh, Zorro very quickly realizes uh, that this will not turn out well for Alejandro because he's drunk. He, he just he knows he's not a professional soldier by looking at him, but knows the other man is. And so basically distracts him by by fighting with him. Uh, beating him up a little bit. Um, and so as, as Alejandro now is laying on the ground trying to catch his breath, um, uh, Zorro says, Alejandro, you should thank me. And he says, thank you for what? And he said, I just saved your life. And he said, no, no, I, I would have fought that man and I would have killed him. And he said, no, no, you would have fought bravely but died quickly. He said, because you... That man is trained to fight and kill, but you see more trained strength. And, and then he ends this uh, particular scene that you're referring to with the idea of, if you come with me, I will teach you how to take on your enemy. I will teach you how to take your revenge. In other words, accomplish your mission. But it will take dedication and it will take time. I will teach you how to think and how to act and how to move. Uh, a very powerful scene that really depicts most of our lives and, and where God gives us this, uh, this vision, this idea. He gives us a calling, a certain effect that we're supposed to have, a certain place in the kingdom. And if we run out too quickly, we will find that we are just not equipped for what we're going to encounter for the role we've been given, and we will be taken out very quickly. You know, um, this idea of the training circle that Zorro invites the young Alejandro in, inside, of, inside his, he calls it his lair, it's his cave, this underground cavern in which all this training equipment is set up for his training. And there's kind of a process as well that I noticed that he moves more and more and more closely from the outward to the inward to the point at which he's then ready. Um, and as I was thinking about this as, as a metaphor for what we go through in the maturing of our calling and what we'll need, the one critical difference that I noticed was that unlike Alejandro, who gets sort of this, this period of training where it's just him and Zorro, and um, he's not being required to necessarily do, in, do anything with this training, um, he's kind of getting a free pass for a while, to gear up and get trained, then go to confront his enemy. But with us, <laughs> we don't get that free pass, unfortunately, because of the nature of the story. Uh, we live in a battle that's raging now against us, and the enemy will not let us have this respite for training. It's not like two sides are noble, and they say, hey, are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, let's go fight. <laughs> you know, the battle, in our case, is the training. We don't get this free pass for a while, and then, once we're ready, get thrown into the, the foray, so to speak. The battle is the training ground itself. 
which makes it, um, which can be quite disheartening for us, unless, again, we understand that that's where we are in the story right now, and every one of us is dealing with that, not just a few. We're not alone in that. And secondly, that God has great intentions for us in the middle of that training. So let's go into some of the qualities of heart as we're training, being built up and maturing in our calling. What are we going to need? And then we'll talk about the false substitutes for each of those. So what's the first one? Okay, and, and let me start as I go into this. Let me start with, uh, with a verse because this is what comes to mind with what you said about the fact that we don't have training in isolation you know, um, you know, we really do train with live fire, live ammo. I mean, we do have mm. an enemy who, like you said, isn't going to respect our training time. He's now. I, I do believe that that in the midst of the fact that we live in this battle, the story at war, we do have an enemy. We've had an enemy. I, I think God um, will protect us to a certain degree. In other words, he'll he'll allow the enemy and his fight against us to train us, but he also knows how much we can and can't handle, and so he'll, he will keep the enemy from probably using his full force against us until we're prepared to use it and, and prepared to fight it. Yeah, but, that's, a great, that's a great point, yeah. Yeah, so, so Matthew 10, 16, let me, this, this is a fascinating thing. Jesus says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as as doves. Now, what's really fascinating is, going back to what you said earlier, you know, a, a, a shepherd would keep the sheep away from the wolves and keep the wolves away from the sheep. But here, Jesus said, as your great shepherd, I am actually <laughs> sending you as sheep among the wolves. And, and it's just fascinating. And, but, but what he says is, but the way you're going to be able to do that and survive is that you must be shrewd and and uh, innocent. And, and shrewd literally means, when he says to be shrewd as snakes, it literally means to be as wary and wise, as intelligent as and as cunning as snakes. Okay, we have to be that if we're going to survive among the wolves with the enemy and his forces. And, and Gary, let me... Yeah. Let me just let me just interject something. I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, no, a friend of a friend of mine uh, a long time ago. We were talking about this idea that how can God how can God place His children right in the midst of the most critical battle um, where lives are literally lost every day uh, in terms of the kingdom, the two clashes of kingdoms, the kingdom of the enemy, the kingdom of ours. You know, Lewis says, we're born into a world at war. And he meant, in the spiritual sense, kingdom of Satan, kingdom of, of, of Christ. How could he do that? How could he take his children, who probably don't feel ready and feel ill-equipped to deal with this? And, and a friend of mine said, well, maybe it's because we are the most dangerous ones. That perhaps we underestimate the level of power that we have been offered in Christ so that maybe it's not us who ought to fear. Maybe it's the enemy. And I think he had something there. So uh, th just a reminder of, you know, we don't have to go into this with fear. So I'm sorry, go ahead with what you were saying. 
No, I think that's a great point. I never thought about the fact that, you know, maybe we are far more dangerous than we believe we are to the enemy. So, yes, that's that's huge. That So we are to be shrewd if we're going to survive in this, wary and wise, intelligent and cunning. But he said, but you also must be as innocent as does, which means guileless, without falsity, unmixed, pure. So, so these are things that we have to be if we're going to um, be successful, live in our calling, make an impact, advance the kingdom in this world. We must be cunning and we must be unmixed without falsity. That's the only way that we're going to survive in this. Okay, so now, now to get right to what you were saying. Um, this passage in Ephesians is an amazing passage. It really tells us that as you were referring to, the, the training, the place that our heart has to be in, the qualities of the heart that can live in this story, live out your calling, and, and have an impact. And, and in this verse, you first read it and you go, That's, there's nothing powerful, strong, you know, being battle-ready about it, but it really is we've just misunderstood it. And it's Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2. And Paul here says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So in other words, you need to be trained to carry out the life that God has given you, to be the person God has made you. And so then he says, in order to do that, he says, you must be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. So the three qualities right there are humility, gentleness, and patience. And, and, and my, my first reaction to this, way back, and as I talk to people, they're going to think, oh my goodness, that is, that is the, the non-aggressive, untrained, fearful <laughs> person who couldn't do anything because they sound like such weaknesses. And yet Paul says, oh no, no, no. This, if you possess these three things, you are, you can fight the wolves. You are as shrewd as a snake, but as as innocent as a dove, you can survive in that battle. Mm. Um, so, so let's do this. And let me just say, um, it would be easy for a lot of our listeners to to hear a message that says, "Well, what you need is humility, gentleness, et cetera, et cetera," and read that through the lens of of religion that says, "Well, you're not enough of these things." You know, you're really lacking. Again, you're coming up short. And that's not our point at all. Um, we're going to get at, unlike a lot of messages, we're going to get at why. Why do you need those? And they're actually um, qualities of, of power and strength. So what I don't want people to hear is, well, you know, once again, you're not enough of these qualities. So we're, we're not saying that your heart is bad because we know Christ has given you a new heart. But if you're lacking in any of these things, as I know I am at times, um, it's because of our flesh or the old man, but the old man is not you anymore. So I just wanted to remind people that there's no shame in this. It's just a matter of training. And your heart is good. It's just we're, it's the ever-increasing process that we, we're talking about. So let's, right. talk about humil let's talk about humility first. Okay, okay. And let me, as I start, to, again, I mean, I love our conversations because we can spur each other on to new thoughts. Let me throw out this idea with what you just said with Oswald Chambers. 
he said that God gives us a vision and then he takes us down into the valley to, in his words, to batter us into the shape of that vision. And it is in that valley that so many of us faint and give way. Now, now people react now, and I could, with good reason, to this idea of battery, battering us into the shape of a vision, because there is has been so much abuse, that, that mm. physical and emotional abuse that have happened to people. But that's not what Oswald Chambers is referring to here. He's saying that God will give you this vision, this idea of your life and your your role in it, and then He'll take you into this place, kind of into the training circle in the Mascazora that you were talking about. And he will train us. He will develop us into the shape of that vision. But it's training. And he says, and the shame of it is that's where so many people, they, they faint and give way. In other words, it's too hard. They think and they give up. And God's saying, no, no, no. I'm giving this to you. I'm giving you this training. I want you to be like this. I, I will help this be true of you. It's not something you got to get in on your own. So, so, yes, with all these things of humility, the true definition and meaning of it, gentleness and patience, this is something that God trains us in. If we will have eyes for his training and, and cooperate, walk with him in it, he wants to give it to us, but it's going to take work, like all training does. So, so let's go to humility for a minute, this idea that really is so misunderstood as a weakness. Um, 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. So in this battle that we are in in this world, right, advancing the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness, um, we have to be able to stand. We've got an enemy who wants to take us out, knock us down, destroy us. And this scripture says, now, now be careful here. Make sure you stand in humility because if you don't, you'll get knocked down. So, so this really is a very strategic idea when it comes to a battle. And, and when you think about it, um, it, it, this is such a great comment, that, I mean, such a great verse. Because what happens is, as, as God develops the glory of our life, our splendor, our particular splendor, weightiness, abundance, strength, beauty, um, brilliance, as he develops that in us, it is very easy to become mm, harsh, mm. Uh, arrogant, um, proud, overconfident in that area because God has given us so much understanding and knowledge and experience in that. And we start to forget that the, what we know and how we live is a gift of God in our life to give to others. And we just think that everybody should know what we know. Everybody should be able to do what we can do. Everybody, it should be as easy for them as it is for us. And we forget that, no, that's something God has particularly given to us um, for our joy, but also for the joy of others. And so we can become harsh with people. Like, like for instance, you know, there are certain people, because of their metabolism and because of their discipline and their lifestyle, they never have a problem with weight at all, ever. And, they, and, and because it's so easy for them, they can become very harsh for those who have a hard time with their weight. You know, it's just like, well, man, get out there and exercise more. Don't eat like that. What's wrong with you? You're a slob, you know, and, and they're harsh. And, and, the, and the very ways that they can help that person, they will never be able to offer to them because of their harshness. That person won't get close to them anymore. I mean, 
No one wants to get beat up twice by the same guy. And so we can become very harsh in what God has given us because because it seems so easy and natural to us, and we don't get why they can't do this. And then the very thing that we want to give to others, we can't because we've really hurt them with our harshness. We, and let me just put it one other way. Os, Os Guinness said, the more successful calling is, the more vulnerable it will be to its tendency to undermine itself. Hmm. So we just, again, goes back to that verse, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. So we just have to be careful that we don't go to a place of harshness with the the glory, the brilliance, the, the weightiness that God has given us. Well, you know, um, you know, if you want to really see how this this works itself out, what it's like to be around um, someone who doesn't understand humility, you know, for me, all I have to do is looking at my uh, approach to parenting. Um, it is so easy as as someone who's older than, you know, I have, I have a seven year old and a ten year old. It is so easy to go into that posture of why don't you get this, you know? Not that it's said that way, but the, but you can come off a certain way in how you deliver a, something to a child, assuming well, why don't you understand this? Why are you having a hard time struggling with this? Why, after I tell you five times, hasn't your behavior changed? And and you know that catches me up, and I have to return to well, wait a minute, what do I believe about their heart? And how can I deliver this in a way that doesn't shame them, but so that they can really hear and receive it? So, yeah, that one caught me right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I I can do that myself with other people. I can ask questions, which is just a place that my heart naturally wants to go with people, ask questions and probe into their story and their life to see, What's the glory of their life? What's holding it back? But I can also do that in a way, if I'm not guarding, watching my heart and its disposition, I can I can do that in a, um, a critical way. Like, really, you don't see that? I mean, it, it's, it's right there. Versus, oh, I know, it's hard to see when it's your own. You know, it, it's that thing that we just have to keep walking with God, listening to him, be very tuned into our heart. What's my heart's position right now with this person? What am I speaking from? And so God wants to develop this humility in us. Now, now let me give you one other verse and hit one other side of humility. So, one, we need humility. Humility is actually the thing that gives us the strength to stand Hmm. and not get taken out by the enemy, to go, you know what? Every person is in a battle for their life. Everything is hard won. It was for me. It is for them. I understand. Mm-hmm. The the other verse that's really uh, powerful about this is um, Romans twelve three, and um, it, it reads like this: for the for by the grace of God, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you: do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Now, how we have heard that is basically like this. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. That's that's how we hear it. Or right? at all. Well, first of all, or it, yeah, exactly. You don't think of yourself at all. That's really what they're saying. But the, but the crux of the verse is think of yourself with sober judgment. Now, th- this is an intriguing idea that Paul uses here because... Th- 
there's when a person is not sober, when a person is under the influence of alcohol or drugs or whatever, uh, a person tends to go to one or, one of two extremes. Either they underestimate themselves, right? A, a person who's who's drunk under the influence of alcohol will either they'll get real quiet, subdued, isolated, withdrawn, or they'll go to the other side where they'll overestimate themselves, right? They're, they think they're talking quiet, they're not. They think they're funny, they're not. They think they're smart, they're not. They think they have more athletic ability than they have, they don't. And, and we tend to go one extreme or the other, underestimate or overestimate. Now, now the truth is that you and I can be under the influence of far more things than simply alcohol or drugs. We can be under the influence of things like fear, Arrogance, shame, pride, accusation, hurt. And, and Paul says, now listen to me. He says, now I just, I, this is how you walk in humility. Think of yourself with sober judgment, which means do not underestimate who you are. In, in other words, it's not humble to say, oh, I'm really nothing. I really don't have anything to offer. It's all God. It's not me, right? It, my, my job is to get out of God's way. All those kind of things. That's underestimating who you are. It's not owning who you are, and that's not humility, though the church teaches that. Hmm. Nor is it humility, and this is more obvious, to say that you're better than you are, that you possess gifts that you don't possess. It, Paul says, think of yourself with sober judgment. Be realistic. Understand who you really are and own that. Don't exaggerate your life and don't deny it. And I love that um, quote with Philip Brooks that you share. He says, the true way to be humble is not to stoop so that you are smaller than yourself, but to stand at your real height against some higher nature that will show you what the true smallness of your greatness is. Yeah. So it, it acknowledges both. And it, it acknowledges, it says here, you'll understand your true position when you put it up against God, <laughs> I mean, I mean, then it, there won't be shame there, but you will certainly have a true and realistic perspective of who you are, of, up against the greatness of God. Right. However, well, don't don't stoop don't stoop to be lower than who you really are either. Um, yeah. And and maybe we can talk about we were kind of leading into this. What is the counterfeit for true humility? Yeah, that's good. Right. Everything in this world has a counterfeit because we have an enemy who tries to counterfeit. He's trying to be God. He's trying to he counterfeit everything God has. So you have a holy trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have an unholy trinity. You know, you have the, the flesh, the world, and the devil. And there's always a counterfeit to everything that's of God and good. Well, everything of God is good. So everything that's good has a counterfeit. The counterfeit to humility, and again, a counterfeit is designed to confuse people, to look like the real thing but not be the real thing. The counterfeit to humility is shame. Right? So many people that we, we look at and we say, I and mean, that's a humble person. They could not, it might be that they're not actually walking in humility. It's that they're walking in shame. They're walking in the idea of, I am nothing. I have nothing to offer. And we look at them and go, they're so humble. They just defer to other people. They... You know, they never kind of speak up. They let other people speak up. They they don't try to do something. They get other people to do things. 
And we just see that as humility, but you have to look at that very carefully because it, it could be shame. And those are two very different things. Again, shame says, I am nothing and I have nothing to offer, therefore I won't. Humility says, I will offer who I am and what God has given me. And I won't exaggerate it, but I won't deny it either. I will just offer, for it is a gift. So it, we really have to be aware in ourselves. And, and it's just as we're walking with others of, the, of what humility, true humility is, and what the counterfeit of shame looks like and how it plays out. Because they both play out very differently. They look the same, but the end result is very different. Right. And, and for shame, it's actually diminishment of the very thing that God has given to you. Um, which, that can't be better than hum, uh, being proud. I mean, that's not a good alternative. And I think it comes from a, in, in part from a misunderstanding of our unity with Christ, because if you're walking in shame as that counterfeit and saying things like, well, the only good in me is because of Jesus, that's true, but there is good in you now, and he has given it to you, so receive it as as your own, not meaning that you created it, you're not responsible for it, but whatever gifts, whatever glory has given you, it is now yours. It's borrowed from him, but it is now yours. So so live in that because that is true humility, to live in an accurate perception of yourself. So, yeah, I think what we've done is say, is in an effort to try and promote the preeminence of Christ, which I thoroughly believe is a good idea, we've, we've been misguided in how we do that. We think that in order to place Christ first, I have to minimize things about myself in a way that I end up claiming what's not actually true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's such, that's such a good point. So it goes back to the verse, right, where Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. You must be as, 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 um, as innocent as doves, but as, as clever, as, as uh, cunning as snakes. Um, what people think is, as just as you said, that the, the way to be humble is to deny, to deny who I am, to minimize myself. Um, and that brings us to isolation. It's me, myself, and I. I mean, that's where the world gets down to is I'm nothing. Instead, right, what Scripture says is, listen, as you were saying, be who you are, but be with God in it, and you will see it will be in context. The greatness of your life will be in context to the largeness of God, and you'll see it for what it really is. And so we have to be unmixed again, right? This idea of as innocent as death, unmixed, pure, that we're not putting on this false self of either thinking we're more than we are or pretending in front of others that we're more than we are, or the false self of I'm really nothing, I have nothing. Either way, that's a false self. And Jesus said, you won't survive among the wolves with this because that's what they're trying to get you to do anyway. So... Well, and I know that there are some who would probably come back with the scripture of, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But what that has come to mean in the contemporary church is is deny yourself without any qualifications, rather than saying, well, what, what we really want to do is deny our flesh. We want to deny the old self, the false self that gets in the way of life with Christ. Not the good heart, not the good self, 
that we've been recreated to be. So, you know, again, there's been so little discernment around what do you mean when you say deny yourself? So that we end up with people who are now walking in shame rather than real humility. Um, so let's just let's move to the second one you talk about. We've got humility, and then Paul talks about gentleness. Um, okay. What is it like to be around a person who doesn't understand that? Okay. And, and again, without humility, there is no gentleness, which leads us in a second. So there is kind of a progression here. You have humility, and humility eventually gives birth to gentleness. You know, gentleness really is... Um, the, the walking with a person, relating to a person in such a way that you understand the hardness of their life. You understand what they're having to fight through to become the person God has created them to be, to live the life he wants them to live, uh, to live in their calling. You understand the harshness, how hard that really is. And so, again, you don't have that harshness towards them. Um, Romans 2.4, Paul says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? Hmm. And so Paul is saying, you guys, you guys, you're, you're totally unkind to each other, intolerant, unpatient. Don't you realize that it was God's tolerance and patience and kindness that led you to repentance, to the life you're living now, to the man you're becoming or the woman you're becoming? And so we need to be the same way with people. And, you know, what, one of the best, one of the best uh, uh, quotes I've ever heard that to me says this, and again, as you know, I quote Oswald Chambers so much because he's been such a mentor in my life but uh, from reading his books, but he said that sorrow burns up a great deal of shallowness in a person. And, and you always know the man who has been through the fires of sorrow by the way he receives you. Hmm. It's so true. It's so true. As, as we are connected to our heart, because everybody goes through sorrow. Everybody goes through those, the fires of sorrow. But some people are so disconnected from their heart, they don't let it train them or mature them or soften them or whatever word you want to put to it. But if we connect to our heart, as we go through the fires of sorrow, uh, it does burn up a great deal of shallowness. We, we start to really understand at a deep, profound level, life is hard. You know, learning is a hard deal. Changing is not overnight. It's not just simply a decision of the will in a moment. It's, it's much more than that. And, and so if, if we will allow sorrow to burn up shallowness in our life, we will become that person that people can come up to, can approach. It, it, you know, we, we've all, again, talked to somebody and wanted to ask for help, but they've been so harsh with us, so kind of critical of us that we're thinking, I'm never asking that person again for help, advice, or anything. Never. I'm just not going to do it. But, but you come up to a certain person and you can see it in their eyes and you can hear it in their voice where they're thinking, Gary, I know how hard this is. I would be glad to walk with you in this. It, it isn't easy, is it? But you can do it. You can. You can walk with God in this. In time, things will change. There's that, there is that gentleness of heart that invites people to come to you, and, and therefore they have their hands open saying, what you have to offer, the splendor of your life, I need it. Would you give it to me? So gentleness is huge. It really is a big thing. And, and I would say that 
for men, um, for men, this might be a particularly hard thing to welcome in their lives because, as you said, gentleness is perceived as weakness. Um, and it's, it's the opposite of the Clint Eastwood thing. You know, it's, it's not the perception of masculinity that can tough it out. Um, but that's why I think we find so few men who are able to process their suffering in a way that Paul says, you know, with the compassion you've received, you can give to others now you know, that can come alongside you, as you said. Um, I, you know, I just long to see more of that. And I think if we can recast, you know, as hopefully we're doing today, recast these ideas of humility and gentleness and patience for men so that they see, now this is really what you want. This is what you want from each other, and it's what you want from God. And it's not weakness. It, it is a way that God shares his power and authority with you so that you can really enter in and have the life that you want with each other. So that is so good. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, I'm glad you brought that up because some people will misinterpret the idea of gentleness with silence. Mm. Uh, the never saying a harsh or let me let me do it a different way, a hard word. And and that's not the definition of gentleness. It really isn't. There are times that we have to say hard words. We have to do the hard thing, the thing that will disrupt another's life or an organization or a community. Or and and they're hard, but they're done with gentleness. They're not done with harshness, with you know, not caring about the person's heart. Ultimately, you are caring for the heart, and this is going to hurt at first, but it's needed. And so gentleness should not be confused with, you know, the idea of, well, well, okay, okay so that leads me into this. So that what's the counterfeit to gentleness? Well, the counterfeit to gentleness is fear. It, it's being afraid to offer anything. It's being afraid to be ignored, possibly, or the, being afraid to offend a person. Well, we have no control over if we offend a person. I mean, we, we, can, we, we can figure out how to offend somebody, but I can say the right words in the right way and still offend them. The offense is on their side, their choice, if they're mm. offended or not. So there's so many people that, oh, they look so gentle. Um, but they're not walking in gentleness. They're walking in fear. They're just afraid to ever say anything, you know, to offer anything. And so we have to be careful we don't confuse gentleness with with uh, fear because they're two very different things. Um, you know, I remember something that Larry Crabb said in his book Connecting, which came out like at least 10 years ago. Um, it was about how we connect with each other. And, and one of the things he acknowledges is that oftentimes there will be what, what he calls um, um, a, a need for a painful exposure of how someone is living. But he said the intent, and I think here's where the difference is. He said the intent is so that that person can really live from the goodness that God has given them. The intent is restoration. The intent is freedom so that you can live from the new and, and good and true heart that you've been given. 
And I think that what often happens, why we have a problem with this concept, is because exposure for us not only has been painful, it's been shaming. You know, the, the intent was not to restore us into the goodness that God has given us. The intent was to expose something in order to bring us up short. So, yeah, I think that's a a, a critical idea there that, um, you know, yes, we enter in. It's not about fear and acquiescing. It's about entering in with the intent of restoration. Um, Good. Um, Let's go to the third one, um, patience. Um, And you said there's a flow here, of course. It's hard to have one of these qualities without the other, which is why we're not just given one fruit of the Spirit at a time. We're given the fruit, you know, together. It's a package thing. So what's it like to be around a person who is unable or unwilling to to live in patience? Okay, good good point. So, yes, without true humility, there's no true gentleness. Without gentleness, there's no true patience. And and a person who is not patient, God has not developed this in their heart yet, or they're they're fighting God as, as God's trying to develop this you know, needed characteristic is that they they tend to um, demand change, advance um, in the moment. You know, they're, they're, they they tend to be like, well, come on, we've talked enough here. You you ought to be different now, or or they project that on themselves, going, man, okay, okay, I should be getting this by now. I should be living differently, or they project it on God, like God, okay, come on, come through now. Let's go. I don't know what's you know, it, it, it's a very hard thing. We've all experienced this around others to live around that. And of course, rarely do we stop to think, well, what is it like for people to live around us? Because we're, you know, God's still developing our patience. But, but this verse in First Peter, five, six, and seven, it's just an amazing verse. And again, that verse even starts with the idea of humility, but ends in patience. It says, "Clothe yourself with humility toward one another." For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So the idea here is, as we walk in humility and gentleness, we we can wait for God to exalt us at the proper time or exalt another person at the proper time. In other words... God has a timing for everything. He has a timing for us. He has a timing for other people. And we become patient going, well, you know, it's, it's what God is doing in my life. And if God says not yet, it's not yet. If God says for that person, I don't have him at that point yet, that's okay. I'll just be patient and I'll wait. Or I'll wait for when I say something because it appears that this is not the moment yet. Um, can you share that story? Can you share that story that um, I think is – I think there was a job that was being offered to you, and you walked into your bosses having thought about it overnight, and, and, and you were going to walk into her office and said, I'm the man for the job. And what happened? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm I'm in this one position that I'm really not enjoying at all. It doesn't feel like me. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if God made a – it was just a cruel joke on me getting in this position, or I made a mistake, or what was going on. I did not like where I was. It didn't feel like it fit me. 
but God knew what he was after in my life at that point. So I, I go to this training seminar, leadership training seminar offered inside the organization. And when the woman who happened to be the director of staff development, when she's done teaching, she said, listen, we're, we're looking for other staff members who will give us some of their time to help teach these courses as well here. And I thought, oh, that's me. I, I can teach. I'm a leader. I've done this. This, this is why God brought me here. And so I didn't say anything that afternoon. She rushed off to her office, and the invitation wasn't to talk to her then, but later. So that night, I'm, I'm getting ready for bed, and I'm actually walking over to, to pull the covers down and get in bed. And I'm thinking to myself, um, all right, tomorrow morning, I'm going to walk in and tell her I'm the man. I'm the one she's been looking for. This is why I finally understand this is why God brought me here. And, oh, as soon as I had that thought, um, I heard God as plainly as I have ever heard him. And the scripture came to my mind. I mean, and, and just the very fact that scripture came to me was amazing because I'm so bad at Bible memory that when, boy, when scripture comes, I know it's God. And so the, the scripture was basically this. What I heard was, Gary, if you exalt yourself, I will humble you. But if you will humble yourself, I will exalt you in due time. And um, it's not that the verse was foreign to me, but again, I, I just can't memorize Scripture very well. So there it was, right in front of me, and it was Scripture. And I thought, you know what? I have been humbled way too long lately. I am not going to invoke any more humiliation in my life. So I dropped <laughs> it. Just never thought about it again. Well, years later, I think it was four years later or so, I realized I am standing in her office. She is gone. I now have her position. And God brought this back to my mind. Again, I hadn't thought about it since that moment on. And all of a sudden God says, see, I told you, if you would humble yourself, I will exalt you in due time. God literally gave me her position. Years later, he exalted me to that position. And I'm not saying that was an exalted position. What I, but what God was saying was, I will give you what I've put on your heart to do if you will allow me to do it in due time. And so by just in patience saying, all right, God, I'll be patient. You do what you need to do. Um, I'll wait for the moment. God brought the moment. But again, the key part of this verse, there's two key parts. One is I'll exalt you in the proper time, so the timing for everything. But the, the other part that, that links itself to that idea is where, he, where Paul says, cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. I mean, the only way that we're going to be patient with the desires of our heart is as we give those back over to God. We, we give him our anxieties of, God, I really want this, but it's not happening. God, I don't, I don't know if I can take this anymore. We cast those things on God because we believe that he cares for us, and then we can be patient. Okay, then we can be patient. So that is such a key thing to patience. Well, and what the two things I love about that story are, are first your willingness to say, okay, God, you know, I relinquish this to you. Not, not your, you're not relinquishing your desires, but the timing, because who knows what kind of pain would have resulted if you had jumped into that you know, and disregarded God's counsel. Um, the other thing is the intent God had all along was to, you know, to exalt you. In other words, to uh, allow you a place to, for your splendor, your glory, 
to come out, you know, to be displayed because he wants that. I mean, again, this is so counter to the shaming that, that we've been handed for years that this idea that God intends on showing others our glory, you know, putting us up there for others to see, you know, um, we reflect his glory with ever-increasing glory. He wants to show us off. And I think when that really does happen, then you do. When you realize that that is what God is about, I think it produces humility. Um, so let's talk about the counterfeit to patience. Yeah, yeah. Again, there's always a counterfeit the enemy's trying to get us to fall for. And, and I, I really believe that the counterfeit um, to patience is resignation. There are so many people that just they so they're so patient. They're just waiting on God, where in reality they may not be waiting on God. They just resigned. They just gotten to the point where they said this will never happen. I'm not. It's just not going to happen. I'm done with it. I'm not going to hold on to this desire, this passion of my heart anymore. I'm letting it all go, and they're not waiting on God. They've given up on God completely. They've just just engaged. You see, there's a very fine line between waiting on God and resignation. As there's a very fine line between moving out uh, in faith, being aggressive towards what God has put on our heart in faith, and striving or manipulating, trying to make something happen. So patience... It doesn't mean you do nothing. Patient means you do move in the direction that God's put on your heart. You go after the desires of your heart as you walk with him in humility and gentleness and patience. But as you're moving forward with God, you're also realizing that, you know, God will make it happen in his time. He, he has a timing for things. He's got to train us. He's got to develop us. It's that, it's that journey of that we'll get into the next session completely but it's the journey of discovery, development, and alignment. So you just, you, you wait on God. I mean, you just, Ephesians 8.5, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 8.5 says, the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure, right? So as God develops patience in us, we start to know what the proper time and procedure will be. We are patient. We are waiting on God. Uh, that's such a great distinction, Gary. Um, and what surprises me is there's a passage in John 7 where um, I guess there's a, the Feast of the Tabernacles. So this is a perfect opportunity for Jesus to gain exposure, which is everything, if you look at the marketing world today, the you know, every attempt that you're told, every, the means by which you are to get your message out there, to get your book out there, to get your product out there, whatever it is, is what you need is more exposure. But, you know, Jesus does the opposite. His family, his brothers say to him, you know, you should go. You should go to the feast so that you can be seen and people can see what you're doing. And he says twice, it's not my time yet. He avoids the exposure at that time because it wasn't time. I mean, he had such a trust of his father's heart. Um, and, the, and the direction in which God was taking him as his father, that he could say, no, um, you know, I understand what you're saying, 
but it's not time. And I thought, wow, that takes maturity, and it's exactly, I think it's part of what God's doing in my own life. It's, that's part of the maturing into the glory that he's giving to us so that we don't sabotage the deal. Um, right. Right. What a great distinction. Go ahead. I was going to say, and so, and so what a powerful life it is when a person has or is discovering the, the glory, the weightiness, splendor, beauty, strength, abundance, brilliance that God has given to them, put in their life. They're discovering it and, and starting to wield it now, give it out, work with it. But but this person is humble. They, they're truly owning who they are. They're not exaggerating it and they're not denying it. They're owning it and therefore developing it and offering it and walking in it. But they're also gentle. So that, so that people can, they're approachable, right? They're, they're gentle with their own heart as well as the hearts of others as they wield this very powerful thing in their life, this glory of their life. But they're also patient. They understand there's a timing for everything. They're not trying to make everything happen now for themselves or for others or in this world. They're just, or with God, they're also patient. They, they know there's a right time for everything. I mean, that is a very powerful life, not, not a weak life, not a shy life, but a powerful life when someone is humble, gentle, and patient. Mm. And I think that's exactly what we're after. I mean, uh, we long for those people in our lives who will be that right. to us. And I think the people around us are longing for us to, to grow in those qualities of heart. Um, the next time, our next podcast is part seven of the seven-part series, and that's going to be on the journey aspect of this. Because there's all kind of assumptions that we can bring, like, you know, why is that guy, why does that guy have what he has now? Why does he have the job that he has now? Or, or why is he at the place where it seems like his calling is just coming to him? And, you know, there's all kinds of assumptions that we can make that will be injurious to us that I think understanding the nature of the journey of calling will really be helpful. Um, and again, if you want uh, more information, uh, Gary's got great resources. He's got a seven-part um, CD series called The Glory of Your Life. His website is thenobleheart.com. And um, Gary, your book is coming out October uh, called It's Your Call. Is that still sla Is that still slated for October? It sure is. October 1st, it'll be in, you know, any major bookstore and, and Christian bookstore and online as well as online at my website. So October 1st, it'll be there as, as well as the audio book as well. Yep. Great. Well, again, Gary, the conversation is always rich and from my heart personally, and um, we'll talk next time. Very good. Thank you, Jim. All right. Thanks. All right. See ya. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.